there will be few of us who haven't at some time in life been apprehensive about the future. Perhaps you can think back for particular situations. It's often when something unexpected maybe happens to you. Maybe it's an illness. Perhaps it's redundancy. Maybe it's something external that's happened. Recently we have two missionary families that, that we know about. Uh, the Mattox family who are in Turkey and who were now at, uh, Jerry was not allowed to go back so they've had to move to Cyprus. They didn't know that was going to happen. And so what does the future hold for them? Young Su and his family in the Sudan, expelled out of the Sudan, back in Korea, wondering now what does God have for them in the future. Uncertain about the future. And it was just into that kind of situation that John brought the letter of Revelation. We've thought about these different churches, these different groups of Christians down in, in what uh, is now Turkey and recognized that they were facing uncertain times, persecution. Seems likely that it was the time when a new uh, Roman Caesar had declared himself to be God and he was to be worshipped. And so for anyone who wouldn't worship Caesar was in real trouble. So the Christians were facing real pressure and difficulty. John gives them a little glimpse into heaven. We saw that as we looked at chapters 4 and 5 two weeks ago. Wonderful to think that there was this time coming when they would be gathered around the throne of God. Then last week, a darker picture. Judgment upon the earth. People sometimes seem to query the fact that, that God would ever act in judgment. And yet, surely we do, most of us, if not all of us, have a sense of judgment, a sense of the rightness that wrong things need to be put right. And John brings this picture, this dramatic, fearsome picture of God's judgment there were the seven seals. We got to the sixth one, and so now you expect, now we deal with the seventh. But John doesn't. He puts in a, a message in between the, the sixth seal and the seventh, and what is to follow. In fact, we are looking at a little bit later uh, what is to come. But chapter seven is a kind of interlude. It's a message which comes to encourage the people who are facing this uncertain future. And it is to reassure them about the care of God. The future is uncertain. I don't know how I'm going to get through. I don't know what the end will be. So, God comes to share his care. And he does it in perhaps two particular ways. Expressed in the sense of having security as you go into the future and hope for where you're going to get to in the future. Security and hope. Two wonderful blessings 
if in fact you're facing an uncertain future. So what was the security based on? The one who provides it. As we read there, it says that as these things were to take place in the world, that there was for a moment, God says, stop. He held back the angels and he said, there's something we need to do. We need to mark out those who are followers of God, the Christians. We need to seal them, mark them, so that it's become evident who they are. A seal. And a seal, particularly in those days, um, we don't, normally if we seal up an envelope, we do it just as a matter of keeping things together. But a seal meant more then. It meant a sense of ownership. You stamped something with your seal, and that meant this is yours. You owned it. And so that gave you a responsibility as well. And so the wonderful thing was that the seal they had was a seal from the living God. If you're going to be owned by anybody, it's a good thing to know who it is that's owning you. They were sealed by God himself. But what was the purpose they had in view as they went into the future? It was, in fact, also that they would be servants of God. It says that uh, there were 144,000. Now, like in so many aspects of Revelation, it's likely that that was a number that, that had a meaning rather than an absolute value. It's, it's 12 times 12 times 1,000. And 12 represents completeness. And the thought is that this actually represents, it means everybody was sealed. They were all sealed. The whole group of them who belonged to God were sealed and known by God. And it says to them that not only were they sealed, but in fact they were servants of the living God. And so security was promised to them through these two things. The fact that they were owned by God, they belonged to him. And the fact that they had a purpose too as they went into the future, and that was to serve him. Then there's a list of the tribes, and again, it's difficult, as with so many parts of Revelation, to know exactly who John is speaking to. What we need to remember, though, is the people who got the letter knew who he was speaking to. They weren't confused. They didn't think this was a matter of debate to argue about. This was a message to them. And so this next thought comes, that there was a great multitude, verses 9 to 17, apparently in heaven. And they had this hope that was before them. And if you're going to hope for something, if somebody promises you something, that the key question that arises in your mind, surely, is can they actually deliver? Is it possible? They make a promise to do so, but will they deliver? And what you have here is a recognition that the hope which is held out to the people is in fact based on what they see here and what they rejoice in. They rejoice before God 
for salvation. Salvation which has a very real sense of rescue, of bringing people out of the wrong place into the right one. And they rejoice because they recognize, they say, where has salvation come from? They say, salvation belongs to our God. It is God who is providing the salvation. We're not looking and hoping somebody is going to do it. Somebody's going to get us there and deliver finally. God has provided the salvation. So it's understandable. They say praise and glory, wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Then there's the comment that they were there in white robes, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Sounds a very odd thing, doesn't it, to wash in blood and end up being white. But of course this is figurative of the sacrifice that the Lord Jesus had made, which brings about salvation. They recognized this amazing transformation that had taken place now. Here they were, dressed in white, waving palm branches, rejoicing in the victory that had been accomplished, rejoicing in what was there for them. And God is concerned with this great rescue mission. And so, in fact, they were rejoicing in what that was for them. But also, when you hope for something you not only are concerned about whether in fact one's going to get it delivered, but what it is at the end that actually is going to be delivered. What is the hope? We have set out there a complete fulfillment of the purposes of God. It, It says there that as they came together, they were gathered around the throne of God, that God was going to be their shepherd, that he was going to care for them, and that he would wipe away every tear from their eyes, looking forward, in fact, to the last chapters in Revelation. And so the hope was that God will finally complete what he intends and his purposes for them. A wonderful scene. What an encouragement that must have been for them as they had this letter. Yes, the future is uncertain. The future's fearful, perhaps. But be assured of this. You can be assured of God's security and care as you go into the future. And not only that, not only as God takes you into the future, you can be assured of the certainty of where he's taking you, of the hope that there is in front of you. Fine. So that was nice for them. But is it relevant to us? Does it have any meaning? We we thought, particularly last week, and I think every time we go to Revelation, we've talked about the difficulties about it, you know, and the different views that there are. Um, Was it, in fact, just for the people then? So, in fact, it doesn't have any real relevance for us at all. Or is it just about the future 
Um, and so it doesn't have any relevance at the moment, but it might do later. Or is it about history? I think uh, Paul referred to the gentleman who tried to work out that everything that was there could be placed uh, in, according to the calendar. Whatever view you may take, I think there's certainly one thing that this chapter does do, because it illustrates, in fact, for us something, yes, that was very relevant to those people at that time, but in fact is the message of the whole Bible. It is the fact that God is on a rescue mission. This is what the Bible is telling us. It says the world is not as God intended it to be. If you look around and you say, there are awful things happening in the world. The Bible says, yes, there are. It accepts that. But it makes clear that this was not God's intention. And God has not left the world just to get on with it. But in fact, God has set in motion a rescue mission. The story of the Exodus, in fact, is a lovely illustration of what God is doing. You remember the story of the people of Israel? They were in slavery. God came, delivered them from slavery, took them through a wilderness journey, had a hard time, but brought them, eventually, to the promised land. That's the story of the Bible. That, in fact, God wants to bring us out of this bad situation into a good one. That's what the Bible is all about. That's what the gospel message... I wonder when they say the gospel is, is good news. What could be better news than this? This is not how things were meant to be. This is not how things are going to be. God is in a rescue mission. He is at work. And so surely that then we can take, yes, okay, this was written particularly for these folk in that day, but the whole thought of security and hope is the message of the Bible, the message for us today. And so many face an uncertain future. The economic situation our social situation, the international situation. There are all kinds of things which, which make us uncertain. Individuals, perhaps for particular reasons, face uncertainty. And God's message is, yes, yes, that you can be secure and you can have hope. And how does that come about? How does God provide security for the journey? He does it by his presence with us that he has promised. There's so many aspects of this that we can look at, and it's one of the things we do in home groups. Let me just read one or two to you. In Ephesians, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, Paul takes up this very same thought. You were marked. You were known by God. You're marked. You are, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are marked by God. God knows you. 
followed you. Writing to Timothy, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his. God knows. If you belong to God, God knows that. It's a reality. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And then Jesus, as he came to bid farewell to his disciples before his ascension, he came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Here is God's commitment to his people. Not only is there the fact of God's presence, but of God's plan. He has got something. He knows the way ahead. The message translation of Ephesians 1. God let us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it out all before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven and on planet Earth. So God is working out a plan. Things are not haphazard. As the old hymn puts it, God is working his purposes out, and year succeeds to year. Sometimes it doesn't seem very clear to us, but that's the reality of it. And so what then is our hope for the destination? God's final purpose in fulfillment. So many, again, uh, scriptures that we could look at. Peter sums up some of it. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be as you live holy and godly lives and look forward to the day of God and speed its coming? That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God says, I haven't given up. I created, and I said, everything I had made is very good. And you've spoilt it, but I've not given up. One day, it's going to be restored. One day, it will once again be very good. And that's the hope that we have before us. So we have a parallel thought there of judgment, but looking forward, which we get to at the end of Revelation. God's purpose and God's provision that he's made for us, which we see particularly in the person of the Lord Jesus. There's a lovely little event recorded in the beginning of Luke's Gospel where Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple and there was an old man there, Simeon, 
And Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That a lovely phrase. Dismiss your servant. That's enough, Lord. I've seen your salvation here in this infant who was to grow to the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to die on the cross, be raised again. Here, said Simeon, here's salvation. I've seen it. That's enough. I go home now, Lord. Fine, all over. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So can we be certain of hope? Yes. Not worrying about anything that we have done that gets us good enough for God's future. Not worrying whether there's somebody who can somehow do it, but recognizing the provision that God has made and trusting in that provision. We're reminded of that particularly as we come to communion and share in bread and wine. And as we turn to worship and remembrance, I want to read a passage of scripture that somehow sums up this whole idea of security and hope. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.